Hello, welcome to my Two Cents Podcast, where I will be reviewing the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, or live event, or premium live event, however you want to call it, that happened last night. Um, Extreme Rules was a six-match card with three hours worth of action, and to be honest with you, it was a solid pay-per-view, it was a solid premium live event. Um, The first match to start off Extreme Rules would be the six-man Donnie Brook match, which would be the Brawling Brutes, which is Sheamus, Butch, and Ridge Holland going against Imperium, the Intercontinental Champion Gunther, uh, Ludwig, and Giovanni Vinci. Uh, The Brawling Brutes would win this match by pinfall when Butch and Ridge would hold up uh, Giovanni so Sheamus could hit him with a bro kick for the win. This match was absolute chaos from start to finish. When you first had the match starting, it was literally a Texas standoff with one team staring at the other team, and then they just start brawling with each other, and then the chaos dispersed with some of the guys fighting on the outside of the ring, leaving some of the guys inside of the ring. At one point, you had Butch literally in the ring by himself against all three members of Imperium, and at another point in the match, you had literally Sheamus hitting Gunther with the 10 beats of the barrage, which is basically Sheamus uh, having Gunther hanging off of the ropes as he's beating on his chest, and then you see Ridge and Butch, like, joining in, and they just, like, stomping out Gunther. Um, Towards the end, you start seeing them using, like, weapons, more or less the shillelagh uh, aspect. And for people that don't know, a shillelagh is a, um, whether it's a longer piece or a shorter piece of thick wood, thick, like, stick wood. So imagine just grabbing a thick piece of wood, a stick, if you will, and just start beating over somebody with it. That's basically a shillelagh, but it's basically more uh, polished if you get the drift. But anywho, uh, you will see the Brawling Brutes beat up on Imperium with the shillelagh. You have the Imperium beating up uh, the Brawling Brutes with shillelagh. You even had, at one point, Gunther in the Cloverleaf that Sheamus had him applied in. And again, it looked like Sheamus was going to have Gunther tapping out, but it would be Ludwig Kaiser coming in with the shillelagh and literally breaking it over the back of Sheamus. So this would give Imperium more of the higher ground as they're beating up on the Brawling Brutes. But towards the end, you start seeing both Butch and Ridge grab a shillelagh and start beating up on Ludwig and Giovanni in the middle of the ring as Gunther is on the ring apron trying to catch his breath watching his men getting beat down. You will see Sheamus pick up Gunther and hit him with the Celtic Cross, which is basically a razor's edge, and smash Gunther through the commentary table. So that will lead into basically the Brutes taking care of Ludwig, and then that will finish off with uh, Butch and Ridge holding Giovanni so Sheamus can hit him with a bro kick. So again, chaotic match to start off Extreme Rules. And to be honest with you, that was an early match of the night until you got to some of the other matches towards the end of the night. Um, the next match after this would be the Extreme Rules match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. You had the challenger, Ronda Rousey, going against the champion, Liv Morgan. Ronda would win the match by referee stoppage. When Ronda will lock in the armbar on Liv Morgan, then transition it into a short arm scissor with a gogo plata. When the match was over, everybody on Twitter was trying to find out the MMA like submission terms for the move that Ronda Rousey used to finish Liv off, and Shayna Baszler tweeted it out. So thanks for the information, Shayna. Um, this match was it was disappointing to me. 
One, off the fact that Liv lost because I wanted Liv to have a longer reign instead of her losing to Ronda Rousey. But two, Liv got beat up in this match a lot. And I understand the buildup to the match was Ronda Rousey is ultimately the big dog in this match as Liv is the underdog as champion. And Liv is trying to get out of that underdog aspect. And she's just trying to beat up on Ronda Rousey as much as she can. I get it. That's the story that they were trying to tell throughout this match. But when you have a champion like Liv that was building up for weeks on SmackDown to prove that she has an edgier side, that she can get um, more dangerous, that she just not this weak champion. And she was actually able to do that by actually putting Lacey Evans through a table, hitting Lacey Evans with a kendo stick, actually getting face to face with Ronda Rousey multiple times on SmackDown for these past couple weeks. And then you get to the main event. Not the main event, but the pay-per-view here. And you have Ronda and Liv here. Liv still put up a good fight, but Ronda was easily, as you see it, you could tell the way that they were positioning the story that Ronda was the more dominant competitor in this matchup. And you would think with the weapons aspect that Liv was able to use, she used a fire extinguisher, she was able to use a bat, well, until Ronda took the bat and started beating up on Liv with it. Um... You even saw Ronda even use, like, her judo black belt and start wailing on Liv with the black belt with it. I mean, Liv was literally the underdog in this matchup. And again, it's a story that they're telling, and I get it. But for an extreme rules match between both of these ladies, that shouldn't have been the case. Liv should have almost coming to par with Ronda. Even with using the weapon, she should have been able to go all out and start wailing out on Ronda with the weapons, but that just didn't happen in this match. So I'm disappointed that they weren't, well, Liv wasn't allowed to get edgy the way that she was able to on SmackDown, but there was a high spot in this, for me at least, when Liv was actually able to hit the senton on Ronda and crash her through the table, but then that's ultimately set up for Ronda to hit her with the submission to make Liv uh pass out and Liv didn't tap she didn't like submit or anything she just basically passed out but she passed out with a smile on her face so I don't know what we're building up for on Smackdown when Ronda and Liv's gonna be on Smackdown because you know they gotta build up to it because when Ronda gets the belt after the match she leaves the ring and starts playing up to the fans the fans are booing her she doesn't care about it she says she won the belt for her and then you see the like camera angle go back to live and lives in the ring just smiling at it so i don't know if we're still going to get this edgy version of live or i don't know what the story that we're trying to give with live right now only thing i know is she did not tap so that still builds her some credibility from the last time that ronda and her had a match because last time it was at SummerSlam and ronda had her in the arm bar but Liv tapped out at the count of two, but the referee didn't see it. So he counted Ronda's uh, arms to the count of three at SummerSlam. So that's the reason why Liv got the win. It was still a champion. So I think this like finish here was actually able to erase some of the damage that WWE booking did to Liv Morgan at SummerSlam. So I get it, but I just wish that Liv would have still remained champion. That's just my whole thing. Uh, after this, we had the strap match. Drew McIntyre going against Karrion Cross. Karrion Cross would win this match by pinfall when Drew had Karrion set up for the Claymore, but Scarlett would get in the ring and get in the face of Drew and then pepper spray him. And she 
almost about emptied a whole bottle of pepper spray on him because she lied him up with pepper spray. I mean, she sprayed him, and then when he fell to the mat holding his face, she still continued to spray him with pepper spray. Then once Scarlett got out of the ring, you saw Karrion hit uh, Drew with the cross hammer, which is a running forearm to the behind Drew's head, and then cover him for the win. Solid strap match between Karrion and Drew here. They both lit each other up with the strap. Before the match began, you had Drew getting himself strapped up with uh, the strap, like, cuffed to his arm. And the referee tried to get Karrion to cuff his, uh, cuff his arm to the strap. Karrion wasn't trying to have it. And he just kept on throwing the strap to the mat. And then he threw it to the outside. And then you saw Scarlet grab the strap. And this allowed, like, Karrion to get some of the drop on Drew by attacking Drew. But ultimately, again, Drew was actually able to get Karrion into the ring. And put the strap on him. And then that's whenever the bell ringed. And that's whenever the strap match began. These men are two big guys. And you knew what it was when you see the When you see Drew and you see Karrion, right? And you think of a strap match. You go and think of two guys basically beating the piss out of each other. And which they did. And there was a spot in here where Drew McIntyre had like a moment where his peck or shoulder would hit the ring post, and there was a moment when the referee really had to go out there and check on Drew to make sure he's okay, and you hear her ask, do you want me to get medical down here, and he says, no, I'm good, and for people that don't know this, let me give you a little backstory here, back in 2017, when Drew McIntyre came back to WWE, when he was on the NXT brand, um, he won the NXT championship in summer of 2017. And then the next time he had to defend the championship against Andrade El Idolo, he separated, I believe, his shoulder in that matchup, and he had to go away and take some time off. And years later now, this is the exact same shoulder that Karrion was targeting. So I don't know if people picked up on that, but when you do, when you look back at the footage and then just go back to 2017 War Games NXT, that's the exact same shoulder that he bandaged up and damaged up in that match with Andrade. So I like that they pulled back and brought that history back of saying that's the same shoulder that Drew hurt himself and they didn't really build up to it. But for the people that have been watching WWE or watching Drew's career, they know that's the shoulder that he got hurt with. So I like that they added that little nuance to the story with carrying the Drew in this match. But again, you had two guys just beating the other piss out of each other with the strap. You saw them light each other up in the backs with it. And they even got to one point in the match where both of them are just in the ring, just staring at each other. And they just had the strap and they just start hitting each other across like the neck with the strap instead of like normal wrestling where they'll either be slapping each other across the face or they'll be chopping each other. No, they had the strap and they just start hitting each other across the neck with the strap. And I thought these guys are complete insane lunatics because no normal person would allow somebody just to like take a belt and just like beating them across the neck with that belt. But that's the type of trust you got to have in this business. Well, the wrestling business, you got to have that type of trust to want to pull off a good match to make the fans say, oh, OK, that's a good match that I will want to recommend to somebody or I'll go back and watch again. So. This match was good. I mean, it could have been better because, again, this was just both of them going at it with a strap, and there's only so much you could do with it. You could have had more weapons being brought into it, but it was a strap match, so they tried to really put the focus on the strap. But 
for what it was, it was a straight match. I don't know why people crapped on it, but it was a good match. Uh, after this, we had the ladder match for the Raw Women's Championship. Bianca Belair going against Bailey. Bianca would win this match when Bianca would get Bailey on her shoulder and she's about to deliver the KOD. Bailey would be holding half of a ladder at this point, and when Bianca would deliver the KOD, Bailey would land on that half of the ladder that she was holding. So when Bailey hit the ladder, you saw half of her midsection hit that ladder, but also like her chin and mouth hit the ladder. And then you saw Bianca run up the ladder and unhook the championship off the hook. And Bianca is still your Raw Women's Champion. I am so glad to be wrong on this. I said that Bailey was going to win because Bailey just came back and this is her big major feud in that I uh, thought that WWE wanted uh, Damage Control to have all the championships. But no, they still have some faith. Well, Bianca's always going to have faith because she is literally a generational talent. She is uh, a woman that's going to carry the women's division into the future or for how long she wants to be in WWE. They're going to be able to always depend on Bianca Belair. But with Bailey coming back at SummerSlam and they're putting so much focus on the women's division on literally Bianca and Bailey and damage control, I thought they were going to put the title on Bailey and damage control and have Bailey do this monstrous, like evil run with the championship. But no, they're still going to give the juice to Bianca here. And I'm completely happy with it, especially with the uh, match that Bianca and Bailey were actually able to have here. You saw them accentuate the ladder you saw them really mess around with it they used it and at one point i thought bianca was going to hit bailey with the kod onto the ladder the exact same way that bianca did a year ago to bailey inside the hell in the cell that took bailey out and actually uh put her on the shelf because at one point you saw bianca uh open up a ladder and she grabbed Bailey to hit her with the KOD. And I thought that she was going to do it on that ladder. But no, that didn't happen. So I thought that's what they were going with. Um, There was also another point where Bianca was close to grabbing the championship. And you saw Dakota and Io come down to the ring, interfere, pull Bianca down, start beating up on her. Uh, they did note on commentary that Alexa Bliss and Asuka wasn't here. So Bianca had to go about it all by herself, and she was still able to do it. She was actually able to hit a double KOD on both Io and Dakota at the exact same time. So, again, uh, Bianca, again, is a generational talent. She is one of the strongest, or legitimately the strongest female competitor on the WWE main roster side for the females. So, for her to show off that feat of strength in this matchup, it was a good look for Bianca. Again, put the women's division on her shoulder, and she's always going to carry it. And that's literally, you can literally do that and she's going to carry them. So to reiterate, Bianca Belair is still your Raw Women's Champion. And the story between Bianca and Bailey is still could go further. We'll have to check on Monday Night Raw what they're going to do with Bianca and Bailey. I don't know. I think Bailey's probably going to try to get another chance at Bianca, but we'll have to see. Uh, after this, we have the I Quit match between Edge and Finn Balor. Edge would say I quit, giving Finn the win when the Judgment Day would come out to help Finn Balor. Rhea Ripley would handcuff Edge to the top rope, and then the Judgment Day would start beating up on Edge. Finn would hit Edge in the back multiple times with a kendo stick, asking Edge, does he give up? Edge does not give up. He does not say, I quit. Rey Mysterio would come down to help Edge. Rey would attack both Damian and Finn, but he would not hit Dominic. Dominic would attack Rey Mysterio, however, and this would lead to Beth Phoenix coming out. 
and she will have a kendo stick, and she will beat up on Finn and Damien. Rhea Ripley will get in the ring, and then you have the face-off between Beth and Rhea. The fans were cheering for this because this is the moment that we all were waiting for, me included. So these ladies will look at each other, and then they will start fighting with each other in the middle of the ring. Beth would get the key from Rhea, and Beth will be able to unlock Edge from the handcuff. Edge will then start spearing Finn not one time, not two times, but three times. And then Edge would tell Beth to get a chair. Beth would get a chair and then she would hand it to Edge. Edge would break off a piece of the chair. And before he could actually use that metal piece, you would see Rhea Ripley get back in the ring and she would hit Beth Phoenix behind the head. And Rhea was holding brass knuckles when she nailed Beth behind the head. So this would knock out Beth Phoenix. And you would see Damien get in the ring and he would choke slam Edge. Finn would then hit Edge with two coups de grace. And then ask Edge, does he quit? Edge would say he doesn't quit. And this will lead to Finn telling Rhea to get two chairs. Rhea would get two chairs. And then you would see Rhea set up Beth for the concerto. Now you have Edge being held by Finn, Damien, and Dominic. As he's about to see his wife, Beth Phoenix, get hit with a concerto by Rhea Ripley. Finn would give Edge one more opportunity to say he quits before Rhea Ripley hits Beth with the concerto, and Edge would say he quits. So, after Edge says he quits, you still see the Judgment Day hold Edge as Beth is still on the mat, and Rhea is still holding the chair, looking at Beth, and then looking at Edge, and then she says something to Edge by saying, I believe you're a little too late on that, and then she nails Beth with the concerto, and then you see the Judgment Day leave the ring. So Finn is still your winner in this. And we're building upon Edge probably going to get his revenge on the Judgment Day for attacking his wife. Even though he said, I quit and gave them what they wanted, they still did what they wanted. I am glad that Finn won this match. I thought it was going to be the old, the opposite around. I thought that Beth was going to come out here and have to throw in the towel or somebody that knew Edge and cared about Edge, if they couldn't get Beth here, was going to come out, throw in the white towel, and that was going to be the case. But no, it was actually Edge saying I quit for somebody that he loves, his wife. So again, we're adding layers onto Edge and the Judgment Day factor of their rivalry here. And the funny thing is, to me, is that Judgment Day came off as complete total pricks. And that's a good thing for a group like the Judgment Day. They need all the bad guy booing factors that they can be so they can be that group that you want on Raw that the fans will boo, that you could do something with them in other storylines with popular uh, superstars or superstars that are not that popular that you could put the Judgment Day against them to grow that character's or that wrestler's popularity to make the fans actually care about said wrestler to want to have them beat up on the Judgment Day. So I'm glad that we're keeping with the momentum of Judgment Day with Edge saying I quit to Finn. Now, the one mystery mark that I have here is that Edge and Ray are already united to go against the Judgment Day. It seems to me the next puzzle piece is going to have AJ Styles going to be joining with Edge and Ray to go against the Judgment Day. That's why I see, but you got to think about the factor of AJ and Edge having their problem. With each other. Because remember. Edge. Beefed with AJ. Leading up to Wrestlemania. 
Mania is when Edge actually created the Judgment Day with Edge and Damian Priest joined together. So Edge created the Judgment Day. His creation is attacking him. And if it wasn't for Edge creating the Judgment Day and Edge actually having a fair fight with AJ, none of this crap will be happening. So now with AJ having a problem with Judgment Day, this still stems back to Edge. I see Edge probably going to have to be on his hands and knees, not literally, but like kissing butt to AJ for that and probably apologizing for creating the Judgment Day. And we're going to have to see if AJ joins Edge in this fight against the Judgment Day. I see. I think that's where we're going and leading with this. But we'll have to see. Um, With this match, the I Quit match, it was a straight match. Um, You didn't get a lot of weapons until the Judgment Day came out. Because during this match, you saw Edge and Finn fighting in the middle of the ring. Then they fought on the outside of the ring and into the audience. So you got the crowd like being able to touch the wrestlers as they're fighting around the arena. Um, but not a lot of weapons were used in this match. I was real shocked by this because when I think of an I Quit match, I think of you using weapons to beat up on your opponent so much to the point they're at least coming close to say I Quit. And then I know you got to do something real devastating for them to say I Quit. But you didn't get a lot of weapons until literally the Judgment Day come out with the handcuffs and the steel chairs and the kendo sticks. You didn't get that until the Judgment Day coming out. So for me, when I think of I Quit, I want more weapons being brought in to damage your opponent enough. But for the story, again, it's all about the story and how you craft it and how you build it. For the story that they were telling with Edge and Rhea and the Judgment Day and Beth, this made sense. So I'm not mad at it after looking at the match itself and looking at the story that they were like building here. I'm not mad that there wasn't as much weapons. I just wish that they could have put a little bit more weapons in at the beginning. But again, solid match between Edge and Finn. And also we got that dream match, Edge and Finn out of the way. So ta-da. Then in the main event, Fight Pit. Seth Rollins going against Matt Riddle with Daniel Cormier as special referee. Uh, Matt Riddle comes out in his regular WWE stuff while Seth Rollins will come out in a, in Seth, boy, oh boy, I like you as a wrestler and some of your gears are one of the best gears in the world. Sometimes you have one of the best gears. This time you had literally, uh, (laughs) Dollar Tree version of Rob Van Dam, like airbrush gear. I, I knew it off top when he came out and I saw that I said oh my god that is brutal like come on dog I uh, Seth has enough money and I know he comes up and he thinks of these like creative things to put on his gear because when you see his gear from time to time it's fire this one I understand he wanted to pay tribute to RVD but man you mean to tell me you couldn't find a better airbrush guy to give you better airbrush gear than that Jesus now I'm going to move away from Seth Rollins' gear. Uh, Seth and Matt Riddle, they had a nice little fight pit match here. Again, for people that don't know what fight pit is, they took off the wrestling ropes. They had like the steel cage surrounding the actual ring, and they had a platform that you could climb up the cage, and you'd be standing on a platform that surrounded the cage. Well, that was on top of the cage that you could basically walk on. And the only way to win this was by pin, not pinfall, but by submission or knockout in the ring so even if you were on the platform like seth and riddle did get on the platform towards the end of the match the only way you could win this thing is literally in the ring there you go 
Uh, Riddle would win the match by submission when Riddle would get Rollins in a triangle choke and Rollins would tap out. So, solid match, solid fight pit between Riddle and Rollins. I liked it. To me, this was my match of the night personally because it was different. And I like seeing something like this being conducted in the WWE, especially with a actual UFC MMA style guy like Matt Riddle who could actually move around in this environment and somebody like Seth who doesn't, to my knowledge, I don't think he does MMA, but he is a great professional wrestler. He knows how to work with people in a wrestling ring. So you could throw him in a match and he can at least try to figure out how he can make this thing work. Rollins and Riddle actually made this fight pit work to me. You were actually able to get the striking. You were actually able to get the slams. You were actually able to get the kicks. You were actually able to get some wrestling moves in this match. You were actually able to get a lot of different things. At one point, you had Matt Riddle on the ground, and Seth would climb up the side of the cage, and he would do a RVD-like style splash on Riddle, the five-star frost splash on Riddle. It was a modified version, but again, it was a version of the five-star frost splash. You had a combination of things, and you also had both Riddle and Rollins at one point putting their hands on Daniel Cormier, and Cormier just basically roughed him up against the cage and told him, hey, you fight your opponent, you don't fight me, you don't touch me. So this showed you that Daniel Cormier was able to get physical when he wanted to get physical between Rollins and Riddle. Uh, when Riddle and Rollins got on the platform, that was a scary moment from time to time because at one point you saw Matt Riddle like almost get buckle bomb off of the platform by Seth because Seth had Riddle on his sh uh, shoulders and he's running across the platform and he throws him off and he hits and Riddle hits the side of the platform that is on steel. And you even hear Corey Graves like saying, by God, no. And he thinks that Riddle might hit that cage and fly off the platform and hit the floor, which is, a pretty big uh, difference. They're high up. So if Riddle would have hit that cage and that cage side would have legit popped open, Riddle would have hit that floor. And that would have not been a good ending to a pay-per-view, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but that didn't happen. So you had scary moments like that. You had uh, Rollins hitting Riddle with the pedigree on the platform. You had Riddle hitting uh, Seth with the RKO, making Seth roll off the platform into the ring. You had Riddle jumping off the platform onto Seth with a Broton, which is basically a Centon. And that led to Riddle getting like the triangle choke on Seth Rollins. If you did not see Extreme Rules, I suggest you go and watch the beginning of the match. Well, the beginning of the show, which is the six-man tag match, uh, the Donnie Brook, which is basically no holds bar between the Brawling Brutes and Imperium. I suggest you watch the latter match between Bianca and uh, Bailey. I suggest you watch the I Quit match just to see the ending, the storyline, the story of how we get there between Finn and Edge. And I suggest you watch the Fight Pit. If you wanted to watch the Strap match, cool. If you want to watch the SmackDown women's match between Liv and Ronda, uh, you do that, but uh, it was just disappointing to me. But the big big coup de grace, the big, big joker at the end of the whole pay-per-view was when Riddle and Daniel Cormier are up on the entrance stage, the lights will go out and 
the fans would start lighting up their phones like the fireflies. And you have Michael Cole literally on commentary asking Corey Graves, hey, are we still in there? Are we still on? And you would hear he has the whole world in his hands. And everybody knew what time it was. It's time to unveil who is the White Rabbit. So you will hear multiple times he has the whole world in his hands. And then they will spotlight at different times in the arena characters from the Firefly Funhouse. You had uh, the pig character being a live version of the pig character. Somebody dressed up literally as Huskis uh, the pig. You had somebody literally dressed up as Mercy the Buzzard. You had somebody dressed up as uh, Sister Abigail herself. Um, you had somebody dressed up as the Fiend. And at one point, you see on commentary table, they had the Fiend's burnt mask. And then it will go to the Titan Tron, and you go to the Firefly Funhouse, and it'll be nothing but dark, dusty, and just nothing but cobwebs all around. And you start hearing the uh, Firefly Funhouse like theme song, but it's all slow and spooky and creepy. And then it goes to the television inside the Firefly Funhouse, and it starts uh, scratchy, and then it shows a man in a mask, and he acts who killed the world. You did. And we all know it's time for Bray. We're waiting for Bray to come out, and we go back to inside the arena. Inside the arena, there is a door on the entrance stage, and they open up the door. A big bust of light comes from the door, and a man walks out with the lantern and we all know it's Bray Wyatt everybody starts going crazy everybody goes holy crap holy crap but exchange the crap for the s word and Bray comes out with like a big white mask smiling white mask and then he takes the mask off and it's Bray Wyatt underneath again everybody's so excited everybody's so happy Bray will look into the camera and says I'm here and then he blows out his lantern and to end Extreme Rules, you will see like a symbol of like a dead moth with like a human head on the tail end in like a red circle. I don't know what any of that means. Bray Wyatt knows what that means. He is one of the legit most cryptic characters WWE has ever had. And it all comes from one man himself, Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt created this character. Bray Wyatt didn't have nobody help him come up with this character. This character is all him. Firefly Funhouse is all him. The Fiend is all him. Everything Bray has done is all him. So Bray Wyatt, the man behind the character, he actually is legitimately, in my opinion, one of the greatest character-driven guys I've ever seen because him having weeks upon weeks with a white rabbit uh, social media campaign making the fans having to dig through cryptic messages and like little nuggets here and there for you to go back into 15 years of things to grab this and then to grab that. And I mean, he was putting together so many cryptic things that the fans actually went back to look into. That's called pure dedication, and that shows that people actually care about Bray Wyatt the way that everybody knows he is cared for by the fans. So, here's the thing coming out of Extreme Rules. Right now, what we know is 
Bray Wyatt's back. What we don't know is who is his first opponent going to be or who is he going to be going after? Is he going to try to still take down the machine? Because when he first came to WWE with the Wyatt family himself, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, his main mission was to take down the machine. So is he still trying to take down the machine? That's one thing. Uh, Two, where does this lead Edge in the Judgment Day? We'll have to see about that on Raw. Where does this lead us with Rollins and Riddle? I think they're going to take a little break from this because I think we're leading up to Crown Jewel. So I don't know if we're still going to get one more match between them at Crown Jewel or we're going to take a separation. I know Seth has a match against Bobby Lashley on Monday Night Raw for the United States Championship. So we'll have to see about that. Uh, where does this lead us with Ronda and Liv? We'll have to see about that on SmackDown. Um, the Brawling Brutes and Imperium. I think we're going to have more banger of matches between Sheamus and Gunther. And I think they need to mix it up a little bit. Have Butch go against Gunther from time to time and have Ridge going against Gunther or just mix it up. I think people will love to see Butch go at Gunther because we get to see uh, Butch and Gunther have a rematch from their match at NXT Brooklyn a couple years ago and they get to see it on the main roster. I think people will enjoy that. Uh, where does this lead us with Drew and Karrion Cross? I think Cross is probably going to try to go after Roman, but Drew isn't going to have that. I think Drew's going to try to want another match with Karrion, and they're going to continue that story. And Bianca and Damage Control, I think B- Bailey is going to be going after Bianca again until she gets the Raw Women's Championship. And that's about it. And the big question mark, by the way, again, sorry before I get you guys out of here, the big question mark here for the Raw Women's Championship, because there was speculations about Naomi and Sasha coming back to help out Bianca during this match, and it didn't happen. People are now wondering, okay, when is Sasha and Naomi going to come back to WWE? Are they coming back to WWE? Here's the deal, folks. Nobody knows except for WWE, Sasha Banks, and Naomi. Just wait and watch, just like the rest of us, and we're going to be waiting patiently to see if they are going to come back or they're not. Just wait and see. Triple H has creative. He's been bringing people back. So if I had to put money down, I would say he's going to bring back Sasha and Naomi when the time is actually right because he has connections to Sasha. Sasha was under his care in NXT. Uh, Naomi, I feel that he cares for Naomi and he knows what Sasha and Naomi could do for the women's brand, also with Bianca and everybody else. So Triple H knows how it feels to be on the wrestler side where somebody in creative doesn't care about your ideas or care about you as a character or don't know what to do with you. He knows how that feels. So with Triple H having the book and Triple H being this guy that is creating the storylines and bringing people back, he knows exactly where he needs to place all these people. So just wait and see, just like the rest of us, to see where Naomi and Sasha are going to come back to WWE. And I feel that they are. It has never been said that they are. I just feel that they're going to come back because Triple H is bringing all these people back and he's doing something with them. Just wait and see, okay? Now, with that all being said, I hope you guys have a great Sunday. If you haven't checked out my Sunday episode, it's out now. It's called Right is Right. I hope you guys listen to that. But if you don't, uh, I'll be back next Saturday with Wrestling Highlights of the Week and also next Sunday with another Sunday episode. With that all being said, I hope you guys have a happy Indigenous People Day tomorrow, Monday. And I hope you guys have a great week. Don't be a dick. Please be... uh, helpful to anybody that you think needs help and just 
message people make sure they're okay make sure your people's fine make sure they're good and i want you guys to have a great and blessed week and i hope to hear from you guys or you'll hear from me uh later this week but anyway with that all being said this has been my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he is i and i am him i love you all have a great day have a blessed week and kanye could you please take these people home i'm tired you tired Uh jesus wept